Welcome to Three Little Things, a natural health podcast. We've created this space to help you positively navigate the world of holistic and natural well-being, where each week we will explore something new and dive into a diverse range of holistic health topics from all walks of life. As chiropractors, we are equally passionate about helping educate, share and empower you on your well-being journey. Created with you in mind, Three Little Things aims to bring you digestible topics and applicable tools and strategies to help you grow, thrive and live well. So let's dive in. Welcome to episode three of the Three Little Things podcast. We're here today to talk all about structure and function. And I think um, as chiropractors, this is right up our alley and something that we're definitely looking at and seeing day to day and working with people's bodies in terms of their structure and function. So we thought today we would dive into this topic. We're going to chat a little bit about how we differ from men to women. We're going to talk a little bit about sport and the body and how things exercise and how we might do things day to day and all different things that might relate to our structure and our function. So we thought before we kind of dive into today's episode, we'll, we'll touch back a little bit on last week's episode. All right. So I'm Lily. Uh, I'm Sarah's, well, colleague. I'm not, not going to say boss, but she actually is my boss, <laughs> but we'll, we'll go with that for now. So number one, apologies regarding sound for the first episode. We were doing it in our practice and in lockdown situations. So we'll see what the sound looks like for this one. And hopefully in the future, we are going to be in a professional studio with that big furry mic thing and our dear friend Leah who cleaned up the whole production. So apologies regarding the sound. The other thing we want to say is that all the episodes should stand alone. So we don't need anybody to have listened to any of the episodes to actually jump into a an episode and get something out of it, hopefully. So uh, listen to anyone, none of them, whatever. The first one, though, just a quick recap. We covered a couple of things that will probably be an overarching theme throughout all the episodes. We covered something called the triad of health, and that is quite basic, really. It's the biomechanical part of our bodies, the biochemical part of our bodies and the mental emotional way that we function, how we function. So that triad of health will follow us through most of the episodes and we may not address them directly, but you will hear many references made to all those aspects of our health. Second thing is for some reason in episode two, I just saw primitive re reflexes as being PMs um, as, as, a, as a short shortened form of primitive reflexes, as you all know, that PRs, but to me, to my mind, PMs actually sounded um, quite logical and usable. So we went with the um, shortening of PMs, but they do refer to primitive reflexes. So we hope we got something out of that episode. We did finish off that one with three little things, and they were, to remind you, uh, looking for three situations so number one whether we all have a little sucking reflex left over from before which is the sound that we make unintentionally so there is a difference between intentionally making that sound as in tut 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 and in unintentionally using it as an um so i have my own version of um which is um mm. So we are all guilty of having something. So the sucking reflex is actually quite common. Number two thing that we said to look out for, which is quite common, is excessive blinking. So we see this mainly in, in children. And there have been links 
to that kind of response when the glabella is tapped. So the glabella is the part of your face between your eyebrows. So with some kids, we tap them there numerous times and look for the blink reflex. And there's been some research linking that with uh, kids with ADD or ADHD. So all these things you can find on the, on the internet. I didn't just make that up. Right, number three was chewing. So we were wanting to, I was wanting to reference a company that makes a really cool thing you can put in your mouth uh, that helps us all chew better and really great for children. But we're not here to promote a product or a company. So if you're interested in this particular thing, it's best to contact us directly and, and we'll, um, we'll show you the website there. So chewing was something that we wanted people to do from a very young age. We mentioned things like using lamb cutlet bones for children who were beginning to, to eat and, and exercise their jaw. And we also suggested that adults began to chew on both sides of their mouths. So it's something that we do without even knowing, only chewing on one side. Mm -hmm. So if you can chew on both sides, that's, that's amazing for function going forward. Yeah, I, even I was quite surprised. I mean, all of these little things, these three little things that we bring up each week are making me think a lot more about how I do things as well, which is cool. And I was even surprised. I very much chew on the left-hand side. And so my little bit of homework this week was to chew more on the right. And I will admit, it does feel very unnatural for some in, in some aspects. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was, that was even cool. I noticed a lot um, this week that I'm very much a left-sided chewer. So... Just to put it out there that it's this these podcasts are definitely making us think as well, which is really cool. So to kind of um, go into today's episode and some of those things, you know, even that chewing is very biomechanical, very a very mechanical motion, and it's going to fit nicely into today's episode. Lily mentioned a little bit about the triad of health that we spoke about in episode one, and to kind of bring you back to that, we spoke about biomechanically, very thinking very much like mechanics, like a car being built, how we're sort of put together. And that very much comes down to our structure and then how we function. So using the car analogy, you can imagine if a car's not built correctly or if there's bits and pieces that are loose or changed, we're not going to function as optimally. And so we kind of, they're not two separate things. They're very much intertwined. Um, but also just because we're built a certain way doesn't mean that we have to function less or anything like that. So we're going to kind of get into a bit about structure and function. But how I wanted to start off was kind of piecing together an image for you about the differences in men and women as well. Um, we know men and women are very equal, but we're also very different in the way that we're structured. And a great example of this, or probably the most, um, I guess, significant example of this is our pelvic shape. Now, for obvious reasons, a female's pelvis is going to be slightly different. But interestingly enough, when we're born um, as babies and through sort of those younger years, our pelvis shape and structure is very much the same. It's very, very similar. And it's more of the male-shaped pelvis. And it's not until a female goes through, starts to go through puberty and starts to menstruate that her pelvis will shift and change. And that's a very hormonal transition, one of the hormonal transitions that a female goes through in her life. And that pelvis um, shape, the inlet of the pelvis, the pelvic bowl, as we might refer to, changes shape. And that is for obvious reasons to help prepare that pelvis for being able to give birth. What's really cool about that is once we go through menopause and once a female goes through menopause, the pelvis actually starts to revert back to a more male-like pelvis. It doesn't revert completely back, but it does sort of um, come back to a little bit more like a, a male pelvis. Um, and that's, again, due to that hormonal 
transition through menopause um, and also the lack of need, I guess, for that pelvis to be in that shape to help um, with a pregnancy or, or through labour to be able to birth a child. So just a really, I guess, visual example for you to understand that whilst men and women are equal, we are both also very different in the way we are structured um, and therefore the way we also function as, as well. And I think uh, as a chiropractor, um, when I'm working with patients, that definitely plays a part in how I'm assessing and looking at a, at a patient uh, whether they're male or female and how their body is actually structurally built and the differences between that as well. Following in on that, Sarah, was the whole idea of how beautifully different everybody is and how through life women's pelvises change because of the lack of need to now give birth again, you know, so it becomes more, rather than being a gynoid pelvis, it becomes more android. So it's interesting how through life all these natural rhythms happen. Mm. And then, well, then it comes to what homeostasis again. So homeostasis we used in the first episode, uh, and we're introducing it as a state of stability and, and flow. And we also brought in the little teeny wee pump called the sodium potassium pump that's a built-in little microchip in all our cells to, to help nerves fire. So the word magic, I mean, of course, there is no magic if you want to look at it that way, except there's a beautiful rhythm. And I guess what we're trying to do here is trying to reestablish some of the dysrhythms that we've uh, gained through life. So I think in my last, in our last episode, for some reason, I referred to primitive reflexes as PMs, which I'll continue to do from now <laughs> on, because for some reason, they are not PRs to me, but they're prints of PMs. So we'll continue with that. If you hear me say that, that's what they are. So as Sarah said, we're going to look at gait, um, posture and structure. And I want to come straight up by saying that structure and function are quite different things. So a lot of us are not structured perfectly, and there's no such thing as perfect structure. In fact, some of the most elite athletes that we love to watch on TV are completely asymmetrical and have actually quite unusual structure. However, they've managed to manifest enough good function that it irons out all the little bumps and lumps in their structure. So we'll look at the way people move and how it relates to their structure and function. And also we'll look at the role of inflammation and, and what this plays in, in how we, we operate. So first of all, I want to introduce the word, well, the uh, acronym CPGs. Dr. Google, once again, is amazing for looking these things up. CPGs are called Central Pattern Generators. And what these things are, are little pools of neurons that exist in our nervous systems that help us to move in that way that's very particular to all of us. So you know yourself, if you're walking down a dark alley, uh, if that's your habit, and someone's coming towards you in only silhouetted, if it was someone known to you, you would tell them by their gait straight away. And you know yourself, when you see your friends approaching you from anywhere, you just go, oh, that's so-and-so because he, she has that funny little foot thing going, you know, or <laughs> that funny little head tilt, etc., etc. So CPGs are very unique to every individual. There are like a movement signature, much like the way you sign your name on a page, they, they show us how each of us move individually. And having said that, um, a really good actor, actress, actor, can iron up these CPG functions to the point where they can adopt someone else's gait quite authentically. But there always is a little bit of a hint that they are not completely that person. So take for example, I mean, this can be quite an irritating example, but nonetheless, uh, you might hear uh, an American actor 
put on an Aussie accent. And it's so, so close, except for that one word they might say, and it just drives you crazy. And that's because they, they're not authentically um, Aussie, I guess, or they didn't grow up here. And so their CPGs aren't going to be as authentic as someone's um, speech CPGs who grew up here. Look up CPGs. I think you'll find them quite interesting. Posture. How should we describe posture, Sarah? Do you want to kick us mm. off on a couple of little things? Let's go from, from the waist down. You tell us how to look at posture from, from here on down. Yeah, well, interesting because I think a lot of people, um, I guess particularly now because we're sitting at desks a lot more, people will often come, or my experience when people, patients are coming into the practice is posture to them is very waist up, is very, oh, I feel like I'm rounding through my shoulders and tight through my traps, my head's falling forward. But so much of that is founded from the waist down and, and how our pelvis is and our gait cycles and all of that kind of stuff. So posture is a very whole body, I guess, observational thing or, or what we look for in, in someone's body. Um, and I think you hit the nail on the head, Lily, it's very individual to the person, right? We all have these postures that we, or the way we hold our body can be very individual and very different from person to person. Even, you know, the classic people will stand on two feet and lean to one side. You know, people often favor one side, um, even they're sticking their hip out or things like that. So posture, um, and as a chiropractor, we're always looking um, at people's postures and how they're structurally built in and presenting that particular day. But I think traditionally people think posture is just waist up. I don't know, have you had that experience, Lily, or? Well, well not personally, yeah. <laughs> but I see what you're saying. So, yeah. so I guess for me, it's always from your toes to your nose. So when we when I check posture, I'm sort of looking at the person as they come into the room. We have quite a long passageway in our, in our practice, quite an open space. And I actually get people to walk the whole uh, length of the corridor to the room in which I'm going to examine them. So I can see how their gait looks, number one. And then they're stood up and in front of the mirror, and so they can follow what I'm looking at. How they plant their feet on the ground, whether they are symmetrically positioned or does one foot flare out? Do the ankles line up? What are their knees doing? Are the knees pointing straight ahead or are they quite asymmetrical? Are their pelvic heights quite the same or is one higher than the other? We have these little small dimples in the back of our spines. Um, you know, for those of you who are anatomically inclined, they're called PSISs, little dimples. One can be higher than the other or, or not. From the back, you can look at your children's spines as they stand with their hands relaxed by their sides. You can look at their scapulae, so those little shoulder blades. Does one wing out? Does one lie quite flat against their, their bodies? Does one hand turn into their bodies? Does one um, turn out? Also their waist shape. Is one waist more marked and pronounced and the other one straighter? And then shoulder heights are quite obvious. Is one shoulder higher than the other? Then their, their earlobes, that's a really good indication as to how they're holding their head. So is one earlobe lower, is one earlobe higher? And from the front, you can also notice all these things. Is one eye looking a little bit higher than the other? Is the head tilt still there? And then there's one particular test that we do all the time for scoliosis, it's called the Adams test, where from the back of the, the child or the adult, they bend forwards and attempt to touch their toes with their legs straight and looking for any rib hump or any asymmetry right to left in their lumbar spine. So that's a really basic 
um, posture check from the front and from the back. And of course, there's one from the side as well. Mm. Yeah, and that's that classic, um, you know, bum out, chest out, head forward, all those sort of things looking from the side. So whether they're uh, what we call, you know, their gravity line or where they are sort of um, that line that, that goes through all the different points from nose to toes, as Lily was saying, we have this line um, and where we are on that gravity line. So you might find looking at someone on the side that they're leaning forward, they're very weighted on their toes or they might be more on their heels, so where they're sort of shifting their weight. And then looking obviously through pelvis, if that's more... Uh, tucked under or tucked forward if their bum's sticking out if they've sort of got that really arched low back looking up through their thoracics or their mid back is that more curved forward or their shoulders rolling anterior or rolling forward and you've got that sort of curved or arched or people might know it as more of that hunched looking position or posture which then um, correlates directly with their shoulder position and their neck is their neck has that neck their neck got that nice that nice curve to it are we forcing that head forward or what we call a forward head carriage which we're seeing more and more at the moment or more and more often um, more sedentary workplaces and all that kind of stuff or sitting on games all day um, so we forward in the head carriage are we dropping down or are we trying to extend through the upper part of the neck to bring the head back to that more neutral position so all of these little posture checks are things that we can observe and see in people um, but Lily, I want to ask you why? Why is this important? Why is it? Why is posture or structure important? Like all of these things we've just mentioned are things that we can observe. But what's what is why are they important? Right. So before I come to that, I'm going to take one step back, and that is why we uh, have certain curves in our spine. So I usually tell the story from a a baby growing up point of view. So a baby is born, and we all know what the fetal position looks like. That's one big C shape from the. Um, the head all the way down to the child's um, sacrum so a c shape is that classic what we call fetal position and i think most of you if we hear the word fetal position i mean my image is someone lying all wrapped up all curled up trying to sleep mm-hmm. uh, and sometimes it's used as a a position to describe someone who's in distress would you say sarah yes yeah, that, i would yeah, yeah. fetal position okay so Anyway, that is quite, that's like a primitive position and we want babies to grow out of that and have some strength to hold their heads up. So you'll see babies hold their heads up for the first time, you know, hopefully sooner rather than later. And that first curve then is formed in the neck. So that's the opposite to the fetal position curve. So it's a C-shape in the other direction. Now, as that child begins to sit up and eventually stand up, the lumbar curve is formed. So that way, we have this fully upright person walking about one years old or beyond. They're on two legs. They've got their original C-shape in their thoracic spine. The original, the original C-shape is in their sacrum. But then the more advanced curves, the neck and the lower back curve, they're the more advanced curves, which we would like kids to have or adults to have forever. And the, the really easy way to check is if they are side on to you, a child's ear, should be over his or her shoulder tip. So that's the perfect position for your child's head. Now, how I often explain it is pure physics. You know, if you have a bowling ball in your hand, that's quite heavy, it's let's say three kilograms, and you're holding the bowling ball close to your body, it's quite light really, and you can hold the ball close to your body, you know, for quite a long time. However, if that bowling ball was held in your hand with your arm fully outstretched, that would soon tie your shoulder girdle. 
and for some kids, uh, their heads are hanging forwards. I love the day. Mm. And so those poor neck muscles are, are exerting a lot of force and wasting lots of energy just having that child out of bed that day. So we want the head position to be over the shoulder as much as possible. And the classic C-shaped neck then is established. Mm. So, so why good posture? Well, you know, it's a waste of energy to have poor posture. <laughs> Standing on two feet already is hard enough let alone having poor posture to, to go with that. So perfect posture, curving your lumbar spine, curving your neck, very easy to maintain all day long, really, even if we are at the desk. Hence the advent of ergonomics and the invention of setting desks and various other sitting positions to enable those two beautiful curves. Mm. So quick question for you, Lynn. You just got me thinking while we were talking about this, and particularly with, with babies and, and the development of these curves. Because um, I think we often look past, or people might look past that and just think those curves, you know, are always there, but they do develop. And these milestones that these babies go through, so, you know, lifting or holding, being able to hold their head up, being able to walk, crawl, sit, all these kind of things play a part in the building or the development of their structure. So with, I mean, this is just kind of throwing you on the spot here a little bit, Lily, but a delay in these milestones or skipping some of these milestones, so maybe they don't crawl or... Maybe they aren't holding their head up uh, nicely or as early as we would like. Are we are we seeing that flow on you know later down the track as they become young kids, toddlers, adolescents, and, and maybe into even adulthood? Are we seeing that affect their posture long term or affect their structure long term? Yeah. So going back to I hit hard back to episode one, but that's because we we had to begin somewhere, and the motivation there was because. We have been seeing so many kids come to the practice this last month or so who had been in lockdown for about six months who have missed all their milestones. So a kid came in recently who was six months old and had not rolled, um, had not sat, and had not had her hips checked, which were now somewhat dysplastic. So I just got a little bit annoyed and disappointed and sad at myself for not following up on certain patients. But so we went on this whole journey of putting a podcast together to try and have it all in one place. So yes, those milestones are pretty important. Those mm. curves are really important. And, you know, from an embryological point of view, we have these little structures called semi-circular canals. They are in our inner ears, little apparatus that tell us whether we're up or down or sideways or rolling or standing or going forward. So these are our vestibular apparatus. They help us stay upright, balanced and coordinated. And these are formed at four months in utero. So for, for those of you out there who, who have had babies and or have carried babies in their um, in themselves, you, you know yourself that babies have certain movement patterns and each child moves in a very individual manner. So once again, go back to CPGs. Now these are very individual little movement patterns that everyone has. So yeah, to answer your question, Sarah, uh, some, some milestones have been lost. Mm. Uh, we are particularly concerned that kids don't crawl anymore so much. They, they bum shuffle, they command or crawl. And this will go back to episode two for you because all the primitive reflex work that you talked about uh, helps kids develop accordingly because these are all what we call laminations in the brain. You know, we put down certain pathways to add to over life. So it doesn't mean that because we didn't have them laid down at the right times, we can't go back and track them or regain them. But it's sort of easier at the time to, to laminate them if possible. 
sort of semicircular canals, inner ear, really interesting vestibular apparatus and actually probably a whole podcast on balance <laughs> coming up and proprioception coordination. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. I think um, I think I think it ties nicely into posture as well. So I'm really glad that we've brought it up, but definitely it could could be a whole episode on itself because I guess if our balance or if our vestibular system isn't quite functioning as nicely as what we would like or there's a disruption there, then that's definitely going to affect the way we stand and our posture and the way we structurally hold ourselves, right? So, um, yeah, very important part of the picture, but we can definitely do a whole episode on that, I think, for sure. And then we decided to kind of clean this episode and talk about chiropractic mm-hmm. for a change because we've kind of mentioned the fact that we are chiropractors and so what do we do? And the last episode we said something about uh, our approach to seeing babies was very particular and peculiar to our profession and we didn't go into it and that was quite deliberate. And once again, we did say go and uh, address your child, your baby's healthcare with your individual practitioners. But here we will actually describe a very simple concept regarding what we do as a profession. And that is, we're going to bring up a word that's probably a moot word and maybe controversial, but we'll explain why we use it. And that word is subluxation. So it took us to episode three to have the, the courage to say it. But really, it's not that complicated. These, these phenomena happen in our bodies. So subluxations are... Well, to make it really simple and not correct, by the way, so apologies to all my colleagues out there, but it's sort of easier to do it this way. It is regarding certain joint structures that aren't performing in their optimal fashion. There are certain nerve endings that sit within these joint structures as a result of not functioning well, these nerves, these nerve endings don't fire properly. The corresponding part of the brain then doesn't light up. Look at the homunculus. And so the feedback isn't, perfect and the feed forward then isn't perfect either so that's just a loop that does exist in a very simplistic fashion so we explain it to some people by using a simple neurology test so let's say your eyes were shut and someone came along and just gently put a pin or not so gently a pin into parts of your body even though your eyes are shut, you could in your mind's eye identify if your nerve endings were intact and your brain was intact, where that pin is going into. So see the homunculus. So that's perfect feedback and then better feed forward. And there have been many studies over the years who show that certain joints that don't work properly and those nerve endings as a result don't fire, the corresponding part of the brain then shuts down. So there's been some research regarding the prefrontal cortex. I mean, most of my neuro-nerd friends will now be um, cringing a little bit, but let me just say that what we don't use, we actually then end up um, losing. So we're really interested as chiropractors to have simple joint movement as perfect as possible. Because going back to gait once again, I mean, most of you who walk down the street will see gait of different people and innately you will know it is bad gait or good gait or posture you know you innately you will feel oh my gosh you know why are they walking like that so i think this is built into all humans we know when something's lovely to look at and we know when something is clunky to look at so we're going to say the bell curve here because yes i know there's some disabilities and they're going to be clunky so i'm i apologize for that but all i'm trying to say is that as close as possible as we get to optimum, um, then we're becoming better in ourselves and homeostasis is easier to um, establish. 
yeah, and ultimately the function then becomes easier and, and um, more optimal, as you said, right, which is, is cool. Less stressful on our nervous systems. Yeah, which, you know, less energy demanding then as we touched on before as well. So, and that, I guess, all ties into a more holistic picture of if that's all intact and um, less stress, less, you know, in the body, like, you know, um, structurally, um, but also being able to function optimally. We're going to feel better in ourselves. We're going to be able to do more of what we enjoy. We're going to be able to, yeah, play the sports or play the games that we like. We're going to be able to move a lot better, function a lot better and therefore be happier and healthier. And that comes down to exactly why we've done this podcast, right? <laughs> Is to help yeah. people be happier and healthier in themselves. Yeah, I guess quite simply it can come down to structure and function too. So nearly at the end. So we're going to, I'm just going to throw quickly to the word sport that Sarah surprised me with in episode one. So I'm going to re-surprise her back in episode three. <laughs> And that is the function of sport. So Sarah brought up the idea of play. I think play is amazing and, and sport is, the, is such a great compact way to play. And so many lessons are learned during sport that really we can take into other parts of our lives. However, the flip side is that there are many things that happen within sport, which I think should stay within sport and not be taken to other parts of our lives. So for instance, I was just saying to Sarah the word mesolimbic and mesolimbic simply means it's a part of our brain called the mesenchephalon, more on that later. It's a part of our brain called the limbic system, also more on that later. But really it describes a person who's ready for battle. And, and a really, this is NRL long weekend for us that we are doing this podcast at, but pick any weekend you want and there'll be a footy match somewhere where the footy person is running out, male and female, looking for battles so their their elbows are slightly bent their shoulders are intently rotated their heads are thrust forward hands maybe in a bit of a fist-like structure and right let's go so looking for for some battle the other very common example is two people on either corners of their boxing ring all geared up mouth guards in place and the the details off so that's a kind of mesolimbic experience that, that all humans seem to want. Good place for a story, just sort of something. Sorry, Jasper, in advance. Uh, all right, so episode one, we discuss the sympathetic nervous system, which is fight or flight and the parasympathetic nervous system. So fight or flight is, is that sort of um, wound up feeling where we feel quite excited and our heart is racing and we're ready for fight or flight. And I remember Jasper when he was little, I think he was about four or five, I kind of lost my cool, surprise, surprise. And I was having a tanty about something. How weird is that? Getting <laughs> <laughs> angry and angry about nothing and yelling and putting pots down really heavily and slamming doors, making generally a lot of noise. And I was watching Jasper and I went, oh my gosh, so sorry, Jasper, you know, um, apologies that wasn't you that's just me I was just being really annoyed and I couldn't help acting out and I'm so sorry that I was angry Jasper and uh, he said oh don't worry mum I like the way it makes me feel <laughs> oh, what? Uh, how does it make you feel Jasper and he said all fizzy inside um, many apologies. But anyway, we all need that fizzy feeling inside and hence we should play sport. So I think it's really nice to get that fizziness out during sport. And then dust your hands down, shake hands, leave the sporting field or the boxing ring and behave like a decent human being. 
Does yeah. that sound Sarah? Oh, I'm in total agreement, Lily. As someone who's played a fair bit of sport in my life, um, and I love sport, I love competition, and I love that. We used to, in netball, used to call it that white line fever, right? Like you cross that white line, you get on the court and you play to win. You play, um, I, I want to use the term aggressively, but I mean that in like a, a gentle aggression way, in a, in a sport competition way. You you go out there, you do what you need to do, you do your job and you you leave it on the court and you cross that white line again and, and that white line fever, so to speak, what we called it, is um, is put aside. But I think that's a really great way to to look at it because yes while we love sport we love play and that whole idea of moving our body and getting out there and not only from a biomechanical point of view but as you talked about you know that that fizzy feeling and that aggression and that competition on the sporting field and being able to leave that there and then come into the community and be nice human beings I think that's a really great way to sum it up and as a sports person as I said it's definitely something that I have uh, I well I feel like I know a lot about that white line fever we called it um Yes, it's mm. a big thing, but I, nice I totally agree. Yeah. yeah, so so go fizzy, guys, uh, except on the sporting field, be good or whatever. Anyway, let me finish. I'm going to finish my little segment by just giving you a brief synopsis of what's happening in the next two episodes. So we're going to change pace a little bit. So episode four, we'll, I'm, we're going to bring in an educator. She's a very high-level uh, educator. She actually used to write curriculum for high schools and she's training an international baccalaureate, et cetera, et cetera. But she's gone on then to train teachers on how to teach and help people get the best out of children. But the reason why I wanted to bring this one up was because with homeschooling and kids going back to school very soon, we're hoping that Billy will be able to help people see this in a positive light and help some children really look forward to the experience. So besides going back to school and seeing your friends, which is really, really important, we don't want children to go back with any fear or trepidation or that anxiety of going back to class, achieving something, not achieving something, being marked, being being told pass, fail, et cetera, et cetera, because, you know, learning really should be a fun thing and education is um, a gift, you know, and we want children to accept these gifts and, and, and love it. So hopefully... Our next episode, Billy will come on and describe the the new trends in teaching and learning, which is very heart and love based. Now, episode five, just briefly, will be with uh, a home birth doula. So doulas are women or men who help women and men through through pregnancies and, and are there during delivery, generally speaking. And and I'm looking forward to having Brooke on because she will help us to understand the process of actually being pregnant, um, having a baby, giving birth, and you know some of the neuroscience and and, and work around pregnancy and birth. So yeah. Sarah, so you you can tell us all about our our three little yeah. things for the week. Yeah, um, exciting. So obviously this episode was was all about our structure, our our function, and we talked a lot about some postural checks and some postural things that we might look for, but you can also be looking for in your own self or your own kids or the people that are around you. So our three little things today are very much um, surrounding our structure and therefore our function and, and how we're kind of put together. So the the first one that I want to kind of touch on, and this might touch into the second as well, but is, is kind of doing your own little gait analysis, your own little postural gait check. And if you're as lucky as we are to be living near the beach, you can go and do this on sand, which is really great. Um, but taking a couple of steps forward in the sand 
and then a couple of steps backwards as well. But having a look, be really observational and have a look at your footprints in the sand as well. I often surprise myself enough um, when I'm walking on the beach or if I'm walking, yeah, on sand is, is a good example um, of, yeah, foot placement and that flaring of the foot or the turning in of the foot is the two, two big ones, very obvious ones. Um, or if you're not looking at yourself, do it. Maybe look at someone that you're walking with or walk behind someone for a little minute and have a look at their feet and the way that they flare or some people might also turn their feet in. And left and right is going to be different as well. So people might experience a flare on one side and not on the other. Um, they might experience it on both sides. I think I, I see this a lot and I don't know if it's because I'm a chiropractor and I'm looking for things in people that are running around the community when I watch them, but I, I look at a lot of people running and Lily probably do the same, but I think that is not a energy efficient way of running when I watch people run or when I watch people do things. And these are all our little gait differences, I guess, or our individual little bits and pieces of gait. So your first thing is to, if not your own, have a look at somebody else's gait style um, and, you know, looking out for foot flares and, and turning feet in. That's probably the first one, which is going to tie very similar into the second one, which is doing a full gait analysis on yourself. So that might be, so I guess, yeah, the first thing is to have a look for those flares have a look for how your feet are going. The second one is to have a look at actually how you're, you're walking or how your gait cycle goes. So the way you swing your arms, when you lift your legs, we want to we be doing it opposites because most, most people probably know that, but you'll be surprised that now you know some of these things, what we do. Some people swing, I can't even do it. I'm trying to do it as I'm talking, but swing with the same arm and leg or they don't even use their arms at all. Their arms are very clearly tucked to their sides. Some people turn um, or like, buckle their elbows out they might do one more than the other one hand might be up one hand might be down all different postural positions that we use and do without even knowing most of the time in our normal gait cycle so having a look at your own gait and assessing that yourself um, and picking up on these little things that you might might find that you do and our third one is where Lily talked about it before is our Adams test and it is a good little postural test that we can do you, I mean, you can do it on yourself if you really want to, but more so doing it on someone else. They might be doing it on, on a child um, and you're getting them to, or one of your kids, feet together and you're basically getting them to bend down as if they were touching their toes, okay? So it's the easiest way to describe it. Bending down and you're watching the, the curve of the spine go all the way down. You're also going to have a look when they're bent down at their shoulder blades and at their shoulders. If one's more twisted or hiked or in a different position to the other, you might notice some ribs as well that are popping up on one side more than the other. So basically looking for asymmetries from side to side um, when they're down. And another thing that's really nice when they do come back up from bending over is having a look on how they sort of restack themselves, I guess is how I would describe it to you without physically being able to show you. Um, are they quite rotated coming up, leaning, really leaning to one side and then bringing themselves back to the center? Do they come up quite neutrally or is it a little bit, I guess, clunky as we spoke about before? So that's our Adam's test. Yeah, three things. Well, then I didn't, well, I've got to say something about the subluxations because I did describe them and I thought, okay, what, what should I say about them? And that is chiropractors then gently correct them. Yeah. And I will say the word gently because our methods are very gentle. And as Sarah described, those misalignments or asymmetries, we look for those and as much as we can we just gently correct them mm. and that way we stay better for longer yeah i mean as we all know we don't live forever by the way it's just a fact 
So it's not our longevity that I'm always interested in. It's actually not the quantity of life in the end. It's actually the quality of our lives. Also, correcting those subluxations is really important for us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that, again, just comes back to doing that. I mean, we see that each and every day, right? That's what we do. That's uh, what we love. But ultimately, we're helping people function a little bit better and have that quality, right? That's what this comes down to. So those, yeah, three things are just a few little postural things or structural things that you can be observing and looking for and maybe doing some simple little checks on yourself and on your kids or the people around you. If, you know, when you're doing these things, some things come up, you do notice some asymmetries or maybe something might come up of concern for you, please reach out. Uh, we would love to chat to you. And, and if we can't assist or answer your questions, we will definitely, you know, find someone that can or connect you with a practitioner who is up your alley and, and convenient for you to see or, or get to. Like always, you can find us on Instagram at the three little things dot pod and on Facebook at the three little things. Um, and we would love to talk to you. We would love to answer any questions or concerns you might have. So please do reach out. Um, but yeah, we just thought we would mention that while you're doing some of these postural checks, what you do when you do find them um, and where you can go. And, and we are definitely um, a platform or a space that you can contact us um, and let us know what you do find, what you have observed, um, and we can talk to you about it. And we're more than happy to do that. So please get in touch if you yeah, if you would like or if you notice any asymmetries. So I guess with that being said, we can kind of wrap up today's episode. Lily mentioned a couple of things to what to look forward to in our upcoming episodes, which are going to be really exciting. And um, yeah, definitely two topics that I'm excited to learn a little bit more about and to hear some experts in their field talk about, which is going to be really exciting. So as I said, please contact us on our Facebook and Instagram if you have any questions or you want to chat about anything. But until next time. Yeah. yeah. Cheerio. Bye. Bye. Thanks. A quick disclaimer, these episodes are not intended to replace help, treatment or advice from your healthcare professionals. The information in today's podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not designed to diagnose or treat any conditions. This is just a friendly reminder that we do not know you or your child or those around you and therefore do not know your specific needs. Please seek guidance from your healthcare professionals surrounding your concerns.